Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Throughout this particular chapter, it's a long chapter, some uh, 67 verses. I don't think you want me to, to read it in total. And without doing so, I probably couldn't do justice to the things that I want to say from it. So we'll make reference to it. And there are some verses that that, uh, I will read in order to get the background for the scripture. But this deals uh, basically with the selection of a bride for Isaac. And therefore, I have come up with the title, the bride, the church, or the church, the bride. I'm not sure how it's in the uh, bulletin. I forget which way I did it. Bride. The bride, the church. Okay. I don't guess it makes too much difference. The bride, the church. Abraham, you recall, began in our memory of our history uh, in the Chaldean mountains in the town of Ur where God finally spoke to him and instructed him to leave his home country and to go into a new land that he would show him. So with his father and uh, some of his family, particularly his nephew, they leave Ur and ultimately end up in uh, what we will find here in our scripture was called Cana. During this period of time, Isaac is born, and God instructed him to take Isaac out to the top of a mountain and there to offer him as a sacrifice, and I preached on that particular subject uh, a few weeks back. When God saw the faith of Abraham, then he stayed the hand of Abraham and allowed Isaac to live. Now Sarah is dead. Sarah is the only woman in the Bible whose age is given at her death. She was 127. And see, even women in that time didn't want anybody to know how old they were. So nothing has changed. But they did record her death at the age of 127. And now Abraham, at the time that we're dealing with him in the 24th chapter, is alone except for his son Isaac and, of course, some other people, but we will not deal with those, just with Isaac. And at the age of 127, he is described in the first verse of the 24th chapter as well stricken in age. The Jews believed between 60 and 70 that that was the beginning of old age. Somebody gave me a little thing that I stuck in my pocket about how to tell age, and I have lost it somewhere. Give it to me again, whoever did that. Between 70 and 80, it was called uh, the hoary-headed age, white-haired, I guess. And 80 up, you were well-stricken in years. Well, Abraham is 140. He is well, well well-stricken in years in our terms. He's an old man. And he has a son who is 40 years old, has never yet gotten married, and left home. And Abraham decides it's time for his son to get married and tells him so. 
Now that's a little odd that you're going to wait that long and stay at home and finally your parents have got to push you out at the age of 40 and tell you to go get married, but that's essentially the, the thing that is happening. But he doesn't want him to just go out and marry anybody. There were no local girls that were acceptable to Abraham. Now remember they were living in the land of Cana. And the Canaanites, who who's, uh, got their name from Cain, who killed Abel, was not exactly a, an upstanding citizen or a member of the local church, were people who worshipped idols. And although Abraham was living in their land and in their midst, he recognized that this was not something that his son ought to do, is to marry one of these local girls who was a pagan and who worshipped idols. So this is one of the restrictions that he placed upon his son. You can't marry one of these local girls. Get married, but none of them. And he finally says to his servant that he has a job for him to do. He wants him to go back to Ur again, back into the Chaldean mountains where his family is still living, for the, or the most of them at least, and there find a girl suitable for Isaac to marry. Isaac didn't even get to choose his own. <coughs> There's something about Abraham's wishes, or really a command, when he says to his servant that is in his house, his elder servant, the one he trusted well, he said in the third verse, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. But why? Abraham recognizes that marriage is one of those times in life or one of the episodes of life that is so extremely crucial and that if he is not careful, Isaac will marry one of these pagan girls and we no longer will hear anything about the Hebrew nation. It will disappear as a God-fearing nation. To make it very simple, there are some spiritual things that need to be considered when a person is making such a decision. Now, most of you uh, this evening probably can do a little more than reflect on this. And I thought this morning as I stood back at the door and, a, and a, several young people went out the door right at first. Goodness sakes, I've gotten my sermons reversed. I ought to be preaching tonight's sermon this morning. But uh, that's not the way it is. Oftentimes, when it comes to the point of marriage in a person's life, they give little attention to spiritual things that relate to the marriage. Girls are swept off their feet and, and simply come up with a statement, Well, I love him. And if he's not just exactly what I want him to be, after I get him and we're married, I'll change him. And you women know that that's probably not going to happen too often from your own experiences. You just don't get that accomplished. And so problems begin to develop within this new family 
because there is not proper consideration given to spiritual matters at the outset. On um, the first Sunday of May, which is uh, family week, I'm going to be preaching a sermon that will deal with some of these things, and so I'll try to stay with, away from them tonight. I've already, matter of fact, I already have my basic notes for that sermon prepared. Over in the book of 2 Corinthians, in chapter 6, Paul tells the church at Corinth something about relationships of one person to another. In the 14th verse of chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, he says this, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That is an important statement that too many times we overlook and pay little attention to, and particularly in marriage, it is, it is not well considered by most people. It is also not well considered in lots of other functions, even in business and, and in other affairs that we might have in our lives. There are relationships developed in which there is an unequal yoke. When a Christian and a non-Christian bind themselves together for some purpose, and particularly I want us to think of it in terms of marriage because this is the thing that we find here in the 24th chapter of uh, Genesis that Abraham insisted that when his son Isaac married that it be an equal yoke. I believe it would do us well as Christian families if we would instill within our children this certain truth of the scripture that when they are ready to marry that they give careful consideration to the mate they marry concerning more things than just how they are physically attracted one to the other. There are lots of questions that need to be resolved. And I've done a certain amount, at least, of, of marriage counseling over the years, and this is one of the things that I've discovered that most people do not consider is their spiritual life, their own uh, concerns along that line, even, to, even down to the point of, uh, of even where, uh, what church they're going to go to. I'm not saying that Methodists and Baptists ought not to marry or Presbyterians and United Brethren, all those. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying these, these subjects certainly should be discussed. I know of one family. He was a Methodist and, and she was a Baptist. And apparently they had never discussed any of these fair affairs as to which church they were going to go to. And they ended up their entire life. He went to the Methodist church and she went to the Baptist church and never, never did they go together because they were absolutely determined to stick with their own church and neither one was going to give. It was quite interesting to see them walk to church and one would stop off at the Baptist church and one would go on to the Methodist. Uh, what I'm saying is that things concerning our spiritual life needs to be considered in our affairs, in marriage and, and in other affairs with which we deal. So I would counsel all parents who have children who are coming of that age that these things need to be considered and particularly if it's going to be uh, a marriage uh, that gets out of uh, Protestant lines and perhaps someone is going to marry a Catholic or a Jew there can be some serious consequences that develop that will not go away just simply because one says to the other I love him 
those things need to be considered. And so Abraham wanted those things considered, that Isaac be married to a person who was of the church, who was a Christian. And that's modern-day terminology. They would, of course, not have been called Christian in the Old Testament days. So he sends his servant, in the second verse, he asks his servant to swear unto him that he would do this thing, and that is go back to his homeland and there find a wife for his son. I think we can parallel the servant here in looking for a bride for the son to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit looking for a bride for the son. And of course the bride is the church. It was the job of the servant to find a wife for Isaac. It is the job of the Holy Spirit to find amongst the peoples of this world the bride for Jesus Christ. That is, that is his job, and he comes seeking and searching for those who will love Jesus Christ and become a part of the bride. And there will be that marriage, of course, in heaven, and we'll not deal with those things tonight. His mission is to win the hearts of people to the Son. And he certainly never forces. He never violates a person's own right to say no. This is one of the things that impresses me about the story here of uh, Isaac and his wife is that when Rebecca was asked if she wanted to go with this man to marry Isaac, it was of her own free will. And so it is with, with people today, and as the Holy Spirit deals with individuals, there is one absolute truth that God will not violate, and that is he will allow a person to say, no, I don't want to marry him. I remember hearing a story one time of a couple who came to church right before the service and asked the preacher to marry them. And he said, I can't do it right now because we're getting ready to start the service, but if you want to stay for the service right at the end of the service, right in front of the congregation, I'll marry you. And so he preached his sermon, which dealt with the bride of Christ and so on. And, and at the close of the service, he said, now those who want to get married come forward, and six men and one woman came forward. So... I don't know why I thought of that. I didn't even have that down my notes. That just... the, the purpose of the servant was to go find the bride. And so he goes at, with, with uh, his camels and they're laden down and goes back to the Chaldean mountains. And he prays unto the father that he be allowed to find the girl that is for Isaac by waiting at the well, and whatever girl came out to draw water, and he asked her to give him a drink, and she volunteered to give him a drink and to water his camels, that that would be the girl. Well, this very thing happened just that way. And we'll make a long story short at that point and move on. But he finds this girl, and she does that, and she goes home with the girl to stay in that family, and, she, and he lays out the plan, his purpose in coming was to find a wife for Isaac. He identifies himself and who Abraham is and who Isaac is. And now he has said that Rebekah has fulfilled the requirement that he had placed upon her. Go over to verse 29. Rebekah has a, has a brother. His name is Laban. Laban comes into the Bible another place later on. We'll not deal with that tonight. Laban runs out to see this man that has come 
with all the gifts. And you'll notice, and Rebecca had a brother, and they call, and his name was Laban. And Laban ran into the man into the well. Verse 30. And it came to pass when he saw the earring and the bracelets upon his sister's hand. I want you to notice the emphasis that the Bible places upon where, what caught his attention. The thing that caught his attention was my, oh my, my sister's going to marry a rich man. And I'm going, as a consequence, gain some things because I'm her brother and surely I will, I will, I will get some benefit from it. He saw the physical wealth that this servant had brought along and he thought, here is something for me. Laban represents the unregenerated person in today's world who looks upon what he can get out of the church without consideration for the person of Jesus Christ, the Son, who has come to marry the bride. He gives lip service. He is occupied with the physical things. He pays, he pays no attention to spiritual matters at all. He is simply interested in all this fine wealth. All right, jump over to verse 58. In verse 58, the story has been laid out to the family. The servant has uh, advised the family as to why he has come, and finally they turn to Rebekah, and they say unto her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. First of all, I have already made mention of the fact that there was no high-pressure tactics placed upon her. But, let us look at some of the things that she might have said. And she is the parallel to the church in today's world. So, consider these parallels as we look at the people that we're dealing with here. Rebecca represents the church, the bride-to-be. Will you go with this man? She could have said, well now how do I know that story's true? You may just be telling me something. You're probably wanting to kidnap me. Or she might have said, well now I just can't give up my lifestyle. I've got my friends and neighbors and my family here and I just can't leave and go somewhere else. Or she might have said, I'm happy the way things are. I don't know this person you're talking about. I might not love him. Or she simply might have said, well, I'd like to, but not right now. Or she might have said, well, wait a little while. Uh, let me think it over. Wait till my father dies. And after he's dead, then I'll leave home and all of those things. If you have been listening to those excuses that I throwed out there that Rebecca could have offered, you have heard the excuses that the world offers today for not accepting Jesus Christ. And most are procrastinations. Most do not want to change their present lifestyle. Most do not want to take anything on faith. Those who reject are those who will not take anything on faith. But Rebecca is saying, on faith, I will accept what you have said. I will become the bride of this man Isaac. And the church has said, we will become the bride of the Son of God. On faith. With her servants and with what few possessions she had, she gets, gets on the camel and starts on that long trip back to where Isaac is waiting. 
I can imagine that as they made that trip that she, she inquired of the servant many times just what kind of a man this was. Now remember, she has launched out on faith. She has accepted the whole episode without knowing the end results. We talked a little bit about this in Sunday school class this morning. It's an important thing for us to realize. We must accept what we cannot understand, what our minds cannot grasp of God, of the eternal future that he has in his hands on faith because our minds are so finite, so weak, so inferior, so incapable of handling all that God might have available that we cannot begin to grasp it. We're going to have to accept it on faith. A person who will not accept Jesus Christ on faith will not accept Jesus Christ. It's got to be on faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. It is faith that we must have if we are to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. If you must know all the answers before you make the decision, a decision will not be made. This is true in most things. If when you got married, you knew what your spouse was going to be like, 40 years down the road or whatever time you've been married, you might have had some second thoughts about that marriage. And you might have thought, well, I'm not sure that I can do that and I can accept him or her for what she's going to be at that time. You didn't know that. We got married on faith that the person that we were marrying would be the one that that would bring delight and pleasure to our lives. It hasn't always been that way, and in, in the physical world, it won't always be that way. There are going to be those, those rough times and those tragedies and so on. But we launched out on faith. And so it is true as a Christian that when we accept Jesus Christ, when you accepted him and when I accepted him, we launched out on faith to take him at the word as we understood it. And the servant gave it very, very quickly as to his purpose and who this person was that she was to marry. And she left on faith. And along the road, she inquired, more about Jesus would I know. Yes, more and more and more we want to know. What we know today is many times more than we knew the day we accepted him as our Savior. And what we will know tomorrow will even be more than we know today. And this is the way she went on her journey. She learned about him. And the servant explained more to her along the way. I'm sure she asked, what kind of a guy is he? Is he good looking? Is he kind? Is he polite? Does he have a drinking problem? And all the other questions that anybody ought to ask about their mate before they marry. And have some answers. Then after she learned about him, she began to long for him. She was anxious for their meeting. The psalmist 
said, this is the way that we ought to respond to the Lord. He said it in these words, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, and the heart is not our H-E-A-R-T, but H-A-R-T, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Her heart panted. Her, her anticipation became greater as she longed to meet this one that she was to marry. And finally, she looked way out ahead, and over in the 64th and 65th verses, Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she saw him way out there. She lighted off the camel, for she had said unto her servant, What man is that which walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. And therefore she took a veil and covered her face. And the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. Now remember, Sarah is dead. Her tent is still there. Isaac brings her into his mother Sarah's tent. And he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Now let me make a few quick points, and I'll try to hurry and quit. In verse 63, Isaac is out in the field waiting for the coming of his bride. Jesus Christ is waiting for the coming of his bride. Isaac, when he meets her then, takes her to Sarah's tent. Now, Rebekah did not replace Sarah. She was not Sarah. The church did not and does not replace Israel. God will still deal with Israel as a nation. The church is a separate entity. Israel is not the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. One of these days, the waiting will be over. The meeting will take place face to face. And we, as the bride, will go into the marriage. The Lord gave us a parable to depict this when he gave us the parable of the ten virgins who went out to wait for the bridegroom to come back with his bride. And they waited, and finally the announcement was made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. And they all got up to trim their lamps, and some of them discovered they didn't have any oil on their lamps, and they tried to borrow and beg from other people. This is one of the things about the scripture that we must realize that is very true in our lives. Nobody can borrow spiritual life from somebody else. You've got to get it yourself. You've got to get it yourself. Because somebody else has oil in their lamp you can't take out of their lamp and put in yours. You've got to get it from the source. And that is none other than Jesus Christ. The bridegroom comes for the purpose of the marriage. And they go into the marriage feast. And that particular parable tells us that when they were in, the door was shut. And those that were on the outside came knocking and begging to get in. But they were not allowed in because the door was shut. And our Lord tells us very plainly, it is he that opens and he that shuts the door. And when the Lord shuts the door, it will be shut. And so it is imperative that if anyone is going to become a part 
of that group that we describe as the Bride of Christ, that it be done before the door is shut. If you're not a Christian tonight, and I do not know the condition of your soul, I would encourage you to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I invite you to do that as we sing our invitation hymn. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description. Thank you for listening, and remember to try Trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.